Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 22. Physio's biggest sale of the year starts this Friday. Get access to all the premium features, Anki decks, practice questions, and be able to adjust the speed when you watch videos. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on Step 1 and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered Step 1 concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Neil, who is a third-year medical student at St. George's University. To help me with this, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going? So good. What's the latest with you, Michael? Well, we are in the middle of lots of training with our kids, sleep training, potty training, all sorts of training. <laughs> it's been a blast. Eh, kind of sarcastic in case you yeah, couldn't tell there. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, last night, Benton, my oldest, who is totally sleep trained, woke up and just randomly peed on the floor because he was like, I don't know, I think he was like sleepwalking or something. It was so weird. So like, snap out of it, kid. What are you doing? But yeah, we've been having fun with kids, sleep training and potty training and all that good stuff. So good times. That's the freakiest. Dude, the funniest part about that is how you described you're like in the bathroom yourself in the middle of the night and then you just see this pee coming from under the door (laughs) on the other side. (laughs) Clearly from the side of the door that does not include a toilet. (laughs) Yeah. And that was my five-year-old peeing on the floor. On the door, <laughs> seeping through as I could see it. It was interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Some nice N3 sleep issues going on there. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, that sucks. I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> I hope it passes soon. It's all good. I just wanted to make an awesome announcement about our Black Friday sale coming up. It's actually our Black Friday slash Cyber Monday sale starting on Friday. So this is the biggest sale that we have all year by far. And by that, I mean we give the biggest discount. So... I would highly recommend taking advantage of this discount when it comes around this weekend if you haven't already subscribed to a premium subscription. And just to remind you, some of the things that you'll get is access to our Anki decks, our professional Anki decks, which were just updated a couple weeks ago, like pro, like really good Anki decks. Everybody's loving them, all brand new. And then you also get access to our board stock questions. And soon the video player is actually going to change for the free users So if you want to be able to adjust the speed, like if you like to listen at like one and a half speed, two times speed or things like that, I would highly recommend getting a premium subscription using this awesome deal that's coming this weekend so that you don't have that problem and be forced to watch all of our videos at 1x speed. So anyways, it's something that we're super pumped about. So take advantage of it. Today's guest is Neil, as Michael mentioned. He's 25 years old and he's originally from Northern New Jersey and he's currently a third-year medical student at St. George's University. He actually took the time to talk to me during his surgery rotation. So just to give you an idea of how cool this guy is and share his experience and give some pearls of wisdom out to everybody who hasn't yet taken step one. And I think everything that he was saying was so valuable and important. That includes kind of the mental game and the things that you experience. He even mentioned that he felt weak in anatomy and he didn't even like anatomy and kind of dealt with this idea of like, is it okay that I don't like anatomy? Am I going to be a doctor? Like, is this okay? And it was just really cool that he was able to dive deep into those psychological issues that we deal with as med students and how he overcame that and 
ultimately excelled. Kind of an inspiring story. And I just think we can all relate to his experience. And I know that if you listen to what he has to say, you'll be able to learn a lot and you'll be able to dominate step one as well. So let's bring him on. Neil, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. What we like to do with all of our guests is ask you what got you interested in medicine and what got you to med school? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> what got me interested in medicine? I like science. I like logical thinking. And I think what's really cool about medicine, and I'm realizing it more now than before I was even interested in medicine, is that pretty much every doctor has to stay up to date with information. They have to always be reading up to date is successful for a reason like the website because everyone kind of has to use it in terms of staying up to date with guidelines and practices so like the fact that you're always constantly learning is something that was always very appealing to me and more so now too because i see that in the hospital like all the physicians use it even physicians that are like you know they have 30 years of practice under their belt and they still kind of have to refer to this i kind of like that and that's kind of what draws me to medicine that's awesome. So when did you start identifying that those were the things that you liked and that would drive you towards this field? Was it during high school or like undergrad or when did you make this decision? I enjoyed doing science in high school, but I think more so in undergrad. Everyone hated orgo. So I went into orgo already hating it. But then I realized that it's a very logical science. Like, you know, you have to do this and then you have to do this and you have to do that. And like, it makes sense. There's always like a workflow to it. And I kind of realized then that if this is the mindset that you need for medicine, then that's what I have. And I think I can be pretty successful doing it. Yeah. And it is really logical. So to make sure everybody understands, when you say orgo, you're referring to what exactly? Organic chemistry. Yeah. So that's kind of like, what's a good way of putting it? Everyone hates it. Like, what's a good phrase for that in undergrad? <laughs> it kind of makes or breaks your career in undergrad almost. I think that's the way to put it. Like, oh, I failed orgo. Now I can't go to med school or something like that. You know, I can see that. Yeah. It's a stressful. And like you say, it's logical. In a way, it's kind of like a preview for medicine, not necessarily its content, but in the fact that it's logical. And, and I can see a lot of the mental processes that you use for organic chemistry, you can use in medicine. Although I've never really thought about that until you just brought that up. I realize now too, when you do your world questions, there's always like an algorithm for solving. If someone comes in with like a solitary pulmonary nodule, you know, that's they're this age and it's this size, then you do this, or if they've been smoking for 30 years, then you do this. Like it's very algorithmic. And I think organic chemistry is pretty similar in that case. I can't even tell you, like, I kind of forgot everything about orgo, but I remember enjoying it. That's a really good point. Algorithmic. I think that's probably what makes them so similar. It's obviously good to have like that organic chemistry background just so that whenever you see all these weird words, it's not the first time you've seen them or just all kinds of things that take for granted, I'm sure. But we can work through stuff because we've had organic chemistry. But I think the fact that it gives you kind of this algorithmic experience, I think you nailed it because that's so much of what medicine is, you know, and even like in third year, which you're in third year now, you've got diagnosing stuff and internal medicine going through algorithms. Exactly. Yeah. And it becomes so routine to a point where the algorithm kind of becomes useless, but I'm enjoying it as it is now. I know that at some point I'll be like, you won't need the algorithm anymore because it's just innate at that point. But I think learning it and using it as a student too, it's really like drawn me into medicine even more. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like the way you're describing these algorithms are almost as like a stepping stool to being super familiar with all of the pathology and stuff that you need to do. I've noticed that some of the doctors that I admire the most, I'm thinking specifically of a doctor that I met in my third year during my family medicine rotation. And he really used algorithms. And he was one of the brightest people that I knew. 
and he clearly knew the pathophysiology backwards and forwards for everything. It was so impressive. And he would just say, when I think of dizziness, I break it down like this. And then he goes through this algorithm and it's to him, he's probably not going through the algorithm in the slow methodical student way that you're probably most familiar with now. But it's cool that he kind of still uses that framework and it's just a little bit more instantaneous in his head. So it's, it's kind of cool, like building that. So that's awesome. So now you've made that jump into medicine. You're actually in your third year, almost halfway into it. Let's go back to the very start of your med school career. So what were like the first few days or weeks like? My med school experience is probably a little different from a lot of other people here in the States. I had three bags with me. I landed in an airport that was super hot in the Caribbean, in Grenada. There is minimal AC. I didn't know anyone. And I kind of showed up at my dorm. I didn't really know my roommate. I messaged him beforehand on Facebook. We met and it was just a very interesting experience. It's hard to put into words almost, but it was like, not only did I have to learn medicine, I had to learn how to live on an island for two years, you know, and that kind of hit me at that point. It was super hot. It was like humid. And I was just like sweating through everything I was wearing. I came off the plane wearing a sweatshirt, like an idiot. Like I was very unprepared for the humidity, but honestly it hit me then that I was like, now I have to also learn how to live out here on top of learning medicine. I can see that being super tough. So you come from Northern New Jersey, so you're probably not dealing with a ton of humidity. No, yeah. So when I left in January, it was like negative 10 degrees. There was like that cyclone bomb, cyclone vortex or whatever that was going on around here. And it was like negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit. And then I show up in Grenada with a sweatshirt and it was like 90 degrees with like 80% humidity. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so you get this shock <laughs> it's got to be kind of stressful, you know? And so I actually want to dive into that a little bit. How did you acclimate, you know, emotionally, psychologically, and physically to being in a new location and starting like a rigorous medical school curriculum? Yeah. So luckily my mom packed me with a lot of food and like surprisingly frozen foods. It stayed frozen in the stove of the plane. So I got it into my dorm and it stayed frozen in the freezer. So like I had a lot of frozen food from home, which was great. But honestly, like, I think I just like jumped right into the material. Like I didn't really dwell on, oh, like I have to go make friends now and I have to go sign up for clubs. Like I know I was there to study medicine. So why not just get into it? So like for the first week I would just study like it was basic science. It was just like osmotic pressures and equilibrium and action potentials, like stuff like that. But it was simple stuff that I've seen before, but now it's in the context of medicine. I realized that like in order to acclimate, I might as well start with the hardest thing first. And I think that's the medicine part of it. I think growing used to the island, that'll come with time. So I figured, let's just get into the medicine. So I just like studied for the first couple of weeks, but definitely made some friends. Don't get me wrong. Definitely had some good nights with friends, especially in the beginning. Well, that's awesome. So it makes sense that you're in this new situation and it seems like you took a really logical, smart approach. You know, like I'm here to learn medicine. Let's dive into medicine. All this other stuff will just kind of fall in line and you know, and if you keep your sanity and, and can handle the stress of med school, then all that other stuff will fall in line. It sounds like it did. So when you started, what was your approach? Because it's almost across the board, med school and the curriculum is very different than what anybody has experienced in undergrad or before. Tell us how you specifically approached your study habits in the very beginning. Before I got to med school, I always wanted to learn all the capitals of all the countries. And in order to do that, like I looked up online, I looked up on like the app store, like, how do I do this? And the only thing that came up essentially, like the most efficient way was doing flashcards. So Anki, 
So I learned all the capitals in surprisingly like a couple days. And I was just like, this is incredible. Like, how do I use this? And I found this out in like senior year of undergrad or it was probably junior year of undergrad. And I was like, how do I incorporate this into like actually studying the material that I'm supposed to know, right? So it didn't really come in handy in undergrad because a lot of it was like research-based and like being in the lab and stuff. But once I got to med school, I realized that like the sheer amount of information they had to know, like that is perfect for flashcards. And I realized that like, well, if it worked with learning the capitals of the countries, then it would definitely work for medicine. So right from the get-go, I started using Anki. And I realized that like, even if you don't necessarily understand the concept, of course you should, but if you don't, still that factoid is still in your brain, like so super easily accessible, you know, like the first pouch of like the, you know, the embryo, whatever, you know what I'm talking about, like the first pouch of the embryo, the derivatives are this, this, and this, like, I don't really understand what the pouch of the embryo is. Like, I don't know where that is, but I know the derivatives are this. And just having that like immediate association by doing flashcards, I think was super clutch. Oh, that's so cool. While on the embryo, it's interesting because that's something that so many people have struggled to memorize that it was requested of me and Michael that when we make our embryo section, which we just barely finished up, we put it on the site like a couple of weeks ago, that we made image mnemonics for all those pharyngeal derivatives. And to your point, that's just being able to work through those flashcards and kind of see those words again and again. It's even if you don't get it fully, there is a benefit to still that repetition. And it sounds like you were in a good spot that even before med school, you were familiar with Anki and how it functioned, you know, because like Anki wasn't really a big thing when I was in my preclinical years. I did use it during my third year, but with Anki, it's kind of a new thing for a lot of med students. Like if they get into medical school and then you know, they're asking people on Reddit or upperclassmen and they're like, what do I do? And inevitably, everybody learns about Anki and sometimes it's their first time ever using it. And it can be just one more thing to have to navigate when you're trying to learn medicine. So it's cool that you had that. Yeah, it's super overwhelming. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm still overwhelmed by it. I don't really mess with like the settings or anything. So you think after using it for like three years that like, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing and I know the settings and the interval is this and, you know, the graduating interval percentage is that. Absolutely not. Like, I don't really know those numbers. I just kind of do what the default setting is and I just keep going at it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know enough to remind yourself, okay, that gear that says settings, don't touch it or I can screw everything up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So did you make your own flashcards in med school or did you use some of those pre-made decks? So initially I didn't know about the pre-made decks. So I would just make my own based off like our lecture slides. But going into second year, that's when I discovered these pre-made decks and they were like incredible. They had everything that you needed from like first aid and pathoma. And the best part is that like you didn't have to spend time making those cards. And on top of that, you could just add your own lecture notes if you needed to, you know, because lecture notes always have a little bit more detail. So if you need to add more detail, you can. But it saves so much time. And I think that's obviously crucial when it comes to med school. Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't anything like that when I was in my preclinical years in terms of Anki. You know, Firecracker was a big thing, but it didn't have the flexibility. And they were making a lot of changes at the time with Firecracker. Have you even heard of that? Yeah, actually. we. So it's funny because like when you get to med school, it's like the anxiety is so palpable. Everyone's like, oh, have you used this? Like, have you bought that? Have you subscribed to this? I'm like, wait, what? Like, I just have these textbooks that I was forced to buy. Like, I don't even want these textbooks. Like, I have to get more stuff. Like, I didn't know that. So Firecracker was one of those things all the students would just buy it because they made it seem like it was just necessary to do well in med school. 
And the underlying theory behind it, like just space repetition, like that is key, I think, to med school. But like, there's a lot of ways to go about it. And I think like the pressure of like all your classmates buying something like that, it's, it kind of gets to you sometimes. Like, I think I fell for that. I bought Firecracker, not to knock on Firecracker. We actually have to use it now for clinical years. We have to take like weekly quizzes on it, but you don't even know how you study. So it's hard to immediately jump into something like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I find that, you know, looking back at my experience and then talking to different students who are still in the thick of their preclinical years, they often struggle to know which route to go down or if they should continue down the route that they're already on or if they should jump ship and try something else. Because there's just so many options and different ways to approach things, even when you're using the same resource as someone else, the way you can approach it can be so different. At what point did you figure out exactly what you wanted to use? And then did you stick with it? And then also a part of that question is, did you do any experimenting leading up to that point? I think just having Anki from the beginning and like just trusting the process was super key. It just made everything else kind of fall into place. You know, I opened up Anki for the day and I have like 130 reviews that I have to do for the day and like 50 new cards. So like my schedule in terms of that is set. So around that, I kind of have to like fit in the lectures that we had for the day or do a question block, like if it was later on in my preclinical years, it'd be like UWorld, but earlier on, like something like Rx or Kaplan. Questions and flashcards, I think, are the greatest thing that happened to medical education. Realizing that you can learn all of medicine by just doing flashcards and questions, and like, not all of medicine, but at least in terms of med school medicine. When I realized that it started doing well in exams, and I was like, wait, so this is kind of working. That's sick. Like, I can keep doing this. And it kept working until my anatomy exam. And that was like my third or fourth exam of my first year. And that was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. So I do not like anatomy at all. I hated being in the cadaver lab. I remember like one of our professors said initially in the cadaver lab, oh, there's one law that stands true in med school. You either love the anatomy lab or you hate it. And like I broke that rule. I absolutely despised it. It was disgusting in there. The smell of like the formaldehyde and the misery of like the students and like you're around dead bodies, like everything is dead in there. It was not a fun experience. I remember we had lab practical exams and they would just have like a toothpick on the body, just pointing at a structure. And it would just literally look like a bowl of spaghetti. And I was just like, what? And it would be like asking you the embryological origin, this like one noodle. And I'm like, I just like, is this whole wheat? Is this gluten? Like, I don't know. Does that change the answer? Like, I'm so confused. I don't even know what I'm looking at. And you would move on before you can like orient yourself, you'll move on to the next station. And like, there's another structure and like, you don't even know what part of the body you're looking at. Like, I remember one time, like we got out of the exam and like me and my friends were like, they definitely got that from like Area 51 because that was not a human being. Like that was not normal. So my MSK, musculoskeletal exam, that was definitely my worst exam in med school, which was a little unsettling because medicine is the human body, right? So like literally every medicine book that you pick up has like Vitruvian man, like Da Vinci's Vitruvian man on the front cover of it. So I started to mildly doubt if medicine was for me after that anatomy exam, because I thought all doctors were good at anatomy. You know, they became a doctor because they were good at anatomy. I realized like quickly thereafter that like, that's definitely not the case. Like a lot of physicians definitely don't know their anatomy. And I realized that that's okay. Like, it's okay if I, if that was a bad exam, like maybe anatomy is not for me. I'm really glad you brought that up because so many med students, especially when you're first starting out, I mean, just hearing you talk about your anatomy lab and the smells and feelings that you have, <laughs> I think those are kind of universal. Everybody experiences something like that. It could be positive or negative. You know, some people love it, but it is something that we all kind of remember. It's like that anatomy lab experience is a rite of passage almost for med school. 
And it's interesting, you kind of feel this guilt if you don't love every second of it. I'm like, am I going to be a good doctor if I don't love this? You know, it's like, and additionally, where you indicated, like, even if you're not this gifted anatomy student, you're going to be fine. Just get through it. (laughs) You're going to be a good doctor. Yeah, I kind of had to convince myself of that. I wasn't entirely sure. I was like, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe like, I'm just like faking it until I make it. Like, I'm not supposed to be in med school because I don't know anatomy. But I realized that medicine now, at least in the clinical years, that like medicine is like so vast that I think there's genuinely a field that's right for everyone. And at least for me, I'm trying to figure out what that field is. But I know it's not surgery. I know it's not anything anatomy based. So I'm good with that. So you've figured out part of the puzzle and your journey's not over. You're still in the thick of third year learning and getting exposed to everything. Let's get to the nitty gritty of your day-to-day schedule, like that first semester. It sounds like the flashcards were working for almost everything except for anatomy. Is that kind of what you were getting at? Yeah, for the first couple of exams, it definitely worked. I was like, oh, wow, this schedule is definitely really working. So I should just keep doing it. And anatomy came. It was like a speed bump in the road, but I was like, well, if it worked for the previous exams, I'm just going to have to keep sticking with it. I can't imagine changing my schedule to just cater for this one anatomy exam that's already passed. Like anatomy is kind of in the past now, like this MSK exam. Like, am I really going to change my entire way of learning just because I had one bad exam? To that question, I said no. So I just kept doing what I did, the Anki. I would do practice questions and just the lectures and moving forward from then on, it was pretty good. Awesome. And I think that's a really healthy attitude to have. You kind of looked at the evidence. You know, I've been doing flashcards. I've taken, sounds like four or five tests at this point. And so you're just thinking to yourself, you know, everything's been working up to this point and this is a speed bump. And I like how you phrased it that way. It sounds like that's how you knew that it was working was the fact that you were doing well on your exams, that you were performing to your goals. Is that fair to say? For sure. I was definitely performing the way I wanted to. I had a good friend of mine who like we had pretty much the same study routine and we were both performing like the same on all of our exams. So we were happy of the way it was turning out. And I think especially the preclinical years, just the habits that you make every day in terms of studying and just building your foundation definitely sets you up for success when it comes to dedicated to for step one. That totally makes sense. And I agree with you. Did you go to class? Was that optional? And how much effort did you put into the actual lecture slides and stuff like that? It wasn't optional for us. We had to go to class. We had to attend 80% of our lectures and it was monitored with clicker questions. So you had to be there to click in. Honestly, the way I learn, I can't sit there and have a professor on stage that just talks for 40 minutes straight. I can't speed her up. I can't rewind her. Like that's not the way I study. So I would just go to class. I would put my headphones on. I would sit in the back and I would just do my cards. And by the time the first lecture was over, it would be online and recorded. So I would go and watch that when the second lecture was actually going on in real life. I would just watch the first lecture on my computer and I would make flashcards as needed. And I realized it would just expedite the process instead of wasting three or four hours every day sitting in lecture, not retaining information. I'd rather be productive. Learning how you learn is incredibly important in med school. It's important also to realize what a weakness is for you. So obviously for me, anatomy still is a crucial like glaring weakness, but I think it's something that I've kind of been working on too. It's hard to imagine that, you know, you're taking your step exam. After two years of studying anatomy, you'll click on the next question on step and it's like a brachial plexus. And you're like, oh, I'm not good at anatomy. It's like, well, you had two years to kind of learn that, you know, could you imagine like getting into an Uber and the Uber driver's like, oh yeah, I've been driving for two years, but I'm not that good at it. It's like, wait, what, what do you mean? You're not? <laughs> so it's like, you kind of have two years to perfect, to learn, to figure out what's wrong, where the knowledge gaps are and to plug those gaps. Yeah, I think that's a really healthy approach. 
not everything you learn in med school needs to come supernaturally. And what you need to do is just be honest about your weaknesses and just try to fill those in over time. I think that's a really smart approach because it's not quite like giving up. It's like, well, I'm not good at this, but it's like not feeling guilty for not being a prodigy either. And you're like, it's okay. I'm not good at this, but like, I've got some time. I can work through this and I can become proficient enough. And I think that's really healthy. Did you do any question banks during your first semester? I did RX for the first semester, but it was kind of like towards the middle. Because when you look at these question banks, it's integrating a lot of medicine that you haven't seen yet, especially when it's your first like week or month of med school. Like they're asking about like different parts of medicine and you've only seen like what an action potential is or like how sodium moves in or out of a cell. Like it's hard to apply that to like a board question. But I think once you kind of see like a system in its like entirety, it's easier to do questions. So I think that happened to me like my fourth or fifth month of med school. That's when I was like, all right, now we can approach these board questions. There's a lot going on in this question, but like, I think I have enough information in my head to answer this question. It was kind of at that point that I was like, all right, so this is actually a really good way to learn because not only are you seeing like a good clinical vignette based on the concept that you're trying to learn, but also you're seeing why hypothyroidism is the wrong answer and why adrenal crisis is the right answer. You kind of have to make these differentials in your head as you're answering these questions. And like that sets you up for success, I think, you know, especially going to clinical years, like just kind of having that thought process. I think that's so true. I think the question banks are so helpful in that way. And you hit on something that a lot of students struggle with. And I know that I did, like just trying to make this decision of like when to start using a question bank when you're so early on, because you get told by, you know, people who have done well and know what they're doing and mastered the concepts that they should use question banks. But when you're so early on, it's hard to know, like, are they going to be useful for me yet? Should I start using them? Am I going to waste these questions if I start early? You know, what advice would you give to any students or any of our listeners regarding when to start a question bank and how to approach that? That actually reminds me. So instead of actually starting with a question bank, I think a lot of these basic physiology textbooks, something like BRS or Guyton and Hall, I think was the name, at the end of each chapter, they have questions at the end of those. And like, obviously, they're not going to be board style questions, but I think they kind of hammer the point of the concept that you need to know in order to answer future board questions when you get to those question banks. So I think establishing that foundation initially especially in those first couple months, like you don't really have to like approach any question bank in the first couple months, but just having that foundation by reading those chapters, doing those questions, doing those flashcards, then after that you can approach, you know, question banks. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach. And just for our listeners, Neil, he's obviously in the middle of third year and then a lot of physio wasn't available to him even. And especially what I'm about to talk about, all throughout our physiology, we have questions to help students apply it. And then we explain it right then and there. But then we have questions at the end of each video, which is brand new, so that you can test yourself on those topics specifically to make sure that you understand that. And that gets around the problem of things that you haven't encountered yet. And so it's really focused on what you need. And so I think that helps. And you're obviously not wasting questions by going through those because you're getting tested on directly stuff that you've learned about. You know, in the past, a lot of students have been using BRS, but it's more of like this model that, you know, using physio with those questions at the end of the video that is becoming more and more popular. And I think that really helps with that sort of thing, and not just physio, you know, like I'm the most familiar with physio and obviously me and Michael are building it exactly how we would want it as students to make it like exactly what students need and to be spot on. So 
not to be like shamelessly plugging our own product here, but, <laughs> but I do think that that's what you just explained there is helpful. So if you really like using books, then, you know, use the relevant end of chapter questions. That way you're like not wasting anything, even time, because if you're getting tested on a question that you obviously shouldn't even know yet, then that's a waste of your time. Exactly. And it only makes you more stressed out. It's like, oh, I don't know this yet. Like, should I know this yet? Like, how does this work? You know? Right. You start to feel guilty. Like, did I miss this? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, for the first couple of months, definitely just concept driven questions, I think is key. I think that's perfect. So did your study routine change at all? Did Anki stay the same? Were you using the same deck? And did you kind of approach lectures the same way? I'm, I'm thinking now like second semester of first year. That's when I started using real question banks. That's when I found the value in those. After you would go through something like an endocrine reproductive module, and I would do questions on Rx for like that module. That's also when you start seeing how they incorporate physiology from like stuff that you've seen months ago. And like all of a sudden it comes back in the form of like an endocrine question. So I think starting to integrate in your head how questions can be asked, especially just in your first year, like latter half of your first year, if you can start to do that, that's great. Like that's a great way of thinking both as like a med student and I think as like a future physician. I think it's super important to start bringing those in early. You know, I remember just this temptation of thinking, okay, I'm going to like do all this study first. And then towards the tail end of my preclinical years, I will start bringing in all these questions and then just like quiz myself on it. But that's a really bad approach. It's so important to just bring it in. So you're learning the material as best you can in the way that it will be applied, because it's so easy to just learn stuff in a way that's not useful almost, because you're not thinking about how you'll be tested on it. And you can kind of like, waste time in that way. So when you started this, you're getting into modules that are more or less complete. And so you can just kind of select those questions that you need. And then you're actually being tested on stuff that you've learned or are learning. Are you referring to Rx or which question banks were you using at this point during your second semester? Initially, it was Rx. It was also because first aid, like the textbook is so vast and dense with information that I just didn't know how to approach it. And I think RX is great for that purpose. Like if you want to know how to read first aid, starting with the RX question bank is great because it gives you like a third dimension of understanding the concept that's written in the textbook by applying it to a question. Also, another thing is that I think that a lot of students don't like doing question things so early is because like I got flustered as well. Like, am I supposed to know this material? Like, is this coming in the future or do I have to learn this now? And I think that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to like get a question wrong and just like learn it on the spot. Like you don't have to necessarily ingrain it in your head. It's just like learning why you were wrong and just applying those same concepts for future questions. I think that especially now in clinical years, more so than preclinical years, is that like I feel like, and I think a lot of med students too, that like, I'm so afraid of being wrong that I don't give myself the opportunity to be right at times either. So you kind of have to put yourself out there and start doing questions. If you're in preclinical years or if you're in your clinical years, just put yourself out there, go to cases and start to talk to attendings. Like it's okay to be wrong. I think that's such good advice because I remember one of my hesitations starting a question bank was that, you know, I've got like a classmate next to me who was like, oh yeah, I just did like a bunch of tests in RX and I dominated them all. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just took one and I did not dominate it. And so I feel self-conscious and almost think, you know, maybe like I should just do questions later, which is ironic because it's like, I should be doing them more now, but it's, it's just kind of like this weird, it's kind of getting ahead of like a med student. So many of us are pretty neurotic at times, but if somebody has that mentality, you know, like, 
I mean, just kind of bringing this up, did you ever have concerns about feeling inferior or like seeing your classmates excel in, or do things that you were not yourself able to do? Or were there any like, I guess I'm just getting at like the head game of some of this stuff that might make you slow down or feel self-conscious? So a couple things, maybe less in the preclinical years, but I'm experiencing it more now, interestingly, in the clinical years. Like I don't know how to put an IV line in, or I didn't know how to put an IV line in. Like I wasn't good at doing research or networking. And I see all my classmates excelling in that. So I kind of have to ask myself, like, what am I not doing? And what are they doing? You know, like, what's the difference here? And I think just taking a step back and realizing that like, oh, so they're attending these workshops. I don't attend workshops. So maybe I should start attending these workshops or like they go to these conferences, like, all right, maybe I should go like just try one out or just like go to like a meeting or something like that. I think just realizing just the gap, like, what are they doing that I'm not? And just trying to work your way up to doing what they're doing and excelling at. The way you're talking about it almost seems like this objective, almost removal of the emotion from it. Like take your ego out of it for a second and then just what is the situation exactly? Like these people are different from me and then have these different skills. Is there a way that I can learn to do what they're doing and then just answer that question honestly? And I think that's so helpful. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to do. For example, yesterday I scrubbed into a case I know how to scrub in, like it's an arduous process. Like you have to make sure your arms are away from your body and that you walk in with your back towards the door and all this stuff, right? And I just messed up everything. It was just like a huge debacle. And on top of that, obviously the scrub tech was not a nice person. So like he got into my head. And so like naturally for the next four hours of the case, I just like dwelled on it. You know, it's just like, man, like I just look like an idiot in here. I don't know what I'm doing. And like, in the meantime, like there's this really cool thoracoscopy going on right next to me. And like, I could barely pay attention to that because I'm still dwelling on the fact that I messed up so much. So I think I'm still also learning how to let things go. Like it's okay to be wrong. Don't take it personally. Realize that it's just a learning experience. And like my job in med school right now, like priority is to just learn. So that's what I need to do. Yeah. And not be too hard on yourself at every step of the way from first to third year where you're at fourth year and on. For our listeners, to make sure that they've got concrete idea, you're using Anki, and then starting second semester, you continued with Anki, and then first aid, the RX questions. And it sounds like you were kind of using first aid in conjunction. Yeah, so Anki, I would just skim through the lectures to make sure that, like, not skim through, I would go through it pretty thoroughly, at least the first time, to make sure that, like, there's not too much that's missing from my flashcards or from first aid. And I would add that in as needed. So the question base, I think, is exactly what you need to figure out what you don't know. It's hard to gauge what you need to do if you're not testing yourself. So I think that's where the question banks come in. Did you use any other resources like video resources or anything like that to supplement your studies? Or is it basically those elements that you've explained? So for the first year, it was essentially that boards and beyond incredible resource. I used it towards it was kind of pre-dedicated period going into dedicated I think it's like a great overview of everything that you need to know. I didn't really use it during like the systems approach because I don't think I have time for it, especially with like watching lectures too. But when I got to pathology, that's when I used Pathoma pretty exclusively. I thought like Dr. Sitar was, he still is, I think, one of the smartest people ever. And he just makes things seem so simple. I think it kind of depends on what stage I was in med school and like that's the resources I use. So for the second semester of med school, like you said, it was Anki, first aid, question banks, and the lectures. But then moving forward, we got into stuff like micro. And those are the heavy subjects like micro or like pathology. Like there's a lot of material that you have to know and memorize. So like for micro, I would use something like sketchy. Sketchy, I thought was incredible. 
And using the Anki cards for the sketchy videos, you can't really go wrong by doing that because you kind of have like that space repetition of seeing, seeing like a pencil means penicillin. Oh, so that means penicillin treats streptococcus. Just kind of having that repetition of like these images in your head. And I still use it to this day, like during clinical years. Sketchy, I thought was a really great resource for micro. So you did some flashcards with that and they were pre-made flashcards. Was there a certain type of banks or decks for Sketchy? Uh, that's a good question. I can answer now. And that's okay, because there's several out there. And I think that's the important thing is like to have some system that you can kind of go back through. Like I said, we're trying to make physio exactly the way that we would want it as a student. So we just created our micro section in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting up like all of the Anki decks to go along with every single video. So like you watch the video and you can just download that and add it. And so it's like, so you put the investment of time, like trying to learn it, and then you can just get like this professional Anki deck to help you review it. And so I'm almost jealous of what you've experienced and kind of all the things at your disposal that like weren't even available like a few years ago. <laughs> I'm like not much further along than you. And it's crazy, like how much is available. And that's awesome that you're like still able to utilize that stuff that you've learned even now that you're like in your clinical rotations. Are you doing any flashcards from back then or are you just kind of like remembering some of the things that you've learned from Sketchy and things like that? Am I doing flashcards like from my preclinical years? Right. No. So I'm using like the pre-made clinical decks. And on top of that, I just add in like an Amboss question wrong or a Euroworld question wrong. I would just like type in. So the cards that I make are essentially the vignette. It's like 59-year-old patient comes in with this. Physical signs are this, vitals are this, like labs are this. What's the diagnosis? And then like subsequent cards would be, why is this not the answer? Or why is this not the answer? So you kind of like, every time I see this card, I'm like, oh, so adrenal crisis is the wrong answer because she doesn't have hypotension or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. So it's kind of like adapting the existing decks that you've got and then just kind of augmenting it with what you're learning and making sure that's like covering all that you need in the way that you need it. And then did you continue that process up to dedicated? Before dedicated, not so much. I wish I did, actually. I think that's something that I could have done better. I wish I kept track of like what I was getting wrong consistently because I don't think I did. And then once I got the dedicated, I would take an MBME and I'm like, wait, I got this question wrong for the fourth time in a row. Why is this happening? And then I would realize like, oh, like I didn't actually spend time trying to learn it. So let's maybe do that now. Like now's a good time. My exam's in two weeks. So knowing what your holes are in your knowledge gap and then like trying to fill those ASAP. Like don't put it off like, oh, I'll figure this out next month or I'll figure this out, you know, before my exam. Like just do it then. Just spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long it takes. Watch a video on YouTube or just like read a text and try to understand it. Like you don't necessarily have to get it, but just try it in that moment and things start to fall into place after that. That's an interesting approach. Don't put off learning it, but also you might not be perfect at it even if you invest 10 or 15 minutes, you might not have it down cold yet, but it's still worth that little investment of time. And you keep chiseling away at topics like that and you'll get it eventually. I've never heard anybody approach it like that or even explain that they've done something like that. So I think that's really cool. So if we could just like sum up your preclinical years prior to dedicated, you used Anki Boards and Beyond. Is that right? Or did you use that at dedicated? I couldn't remember. I used that before dedicated, actually. Yeah. So it was like my last semester of preclinical years. Okay. So like the first two years was like Anki, just your class lectures. And you used first aid and the RX. You also added Pathoma during those first two years when it was relevant to your modules. Also sketchy. And then sketchy. Okay. 
Also, RX, once I finished that, I moved on to Kaplan. And then I also did Kaplan. At what point were you in your preclinical years that you transitioned? It was the start of my second year. I started using Kaplan. And the way I would use it is that if I got something wrong, I would just put it into my... So essentially what I was doing with my first aid textbook, it was on my iPad, but like the PDF, I would add in all the information that I didn't know or was like consistently showing up in cubing. So like high yield information or just like better explanations, because I don't think first aid necessarily explains everything. I think it's just the fact is there. You have to know this Um, explanation kind of comes from like textbooks and question banks. So I would add like explanations from like RX or Kaplan or UWorld eventually. And later on, end of my second year going to dedicated, that's when I got into UWorld. I would like put all the information, just write it into my PDF so that by the time dedicated came around, I would have this PDF that has essentially everything that you needed to know for step. Just again, so you just mentioned that that was a PDF? It was a PDF, yeah. So I had the iPad with the Apple Pencil. So I would just like, I think that's a great investment for any student of any kind. It's so incredible. Yeah, just having that ability, that can be so incredible. So you make these notes. How did you review them or did you? Like what was your process of going back? So initially I would just put it in there. If I came across that information again, if I happened to be on that page again, I would just read it again. But when I got closer to my exam and like during the dedicated period, what I would do is I would make it searchable. So I would type in like, so if the date was January 7th, 2018, I would put 01.07. So then the next morning I would look up all my 01.07 and just go through that. And like everything from the notes from the day before. And then I would also look up like 01.06. So from January 6th, I'd go through all my notes. I would spend like an hour every day kind of going through like the previous week's information and like the stuff that I was either getting wrong or was high yield or whatever the case was. I would just kind of try to review those notes that I put. Fascinating. That's really cool. What points during your preclinical years did you do that? And when did you stop doing that? So maybe there's a confusion because we had two years of clinical years and then we had eight weeks of dedicated. So it's like after our second year. So it was more during my last semester of med school and then moving into dedicated where I would do like that searchable review thing. When did you finish the Kaplan Q-Bank? My last semester of preclinical years. So the semester was from August to December. I finished, I think, around October-ish. And then that's when I started UWorld, October all the way to March, which was my exam. Okay, so Prior to your dedicated period, you had completed RX and Kaplan. And then once you started your dedicated, that's when you started UWorld? So August to December, I finished Kaplan in October, started UWorld in October all the way through the end of the semester. And then dedicated was from January to March. Your preclinical years, I mean, they started in in January and then ended in December, essentially. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you had the eight weeks of dedicated after that. And so like January and February. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense now. So you started UWorld a month or two before dedicated and you ended up finishing it. Is that right? I did. Yeah. And then did you go through it once or twice? I went through it twice and all the blocks I made were always random and tutor mode. When I got closer to the exam, I did put it on time node just because committing to an answer choice, like you can start a block and you're on the second question and you think it's D you got all the way to question number 40 and you were like, wait, should I change my answer from D to C on question two or not? And like tutor mode doesn't allow you to make those mistakes, right? Because you're making your answer choice and you're committing to it and then you automatically see if that was right or wrong. And I think putting it on time mode, it kind of forces you to stick with your 
answer choices or to not stick with your answer choices. So I think that was a skill that I was trying to develop more in my dedicated period. But before dedicated, I think I was just trying to learn. So I didn't really care about the timing of it. So I would just put it on tutor mode and just go through all the questions and then try to learn it from that. That's a really interesting point that you bring up because it's not just a matter of timing because you can make other mistakes when you're like in the timed mode and you need to realize whether or not you're prone to making those mistakes, like going back and changing answers or you couldn't have done that. We wouldn't even have the opportunity to make that mistake and realize that you're prone to make that type of mistake if you were doing it not timed and just doing tutor. So that's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. You took some MBMEs. Did you take all of them that were available to you? And when did you start taking them? When I took STEP, I didn't have the new ones. So I think it's like 20, 21, 22, or whatever the new ones are. I didn't have those new ones. So it was all the way up to 19. I took, I think 13 through 19 were the ones that were available when I was taking it earlier this year. And I took all of them except for 19. 19, I took offline because I heard that's like a huge confidence color. And I didn't want to do that to myself. So I just took it offline just to make sure that I understood the concepts that they were testing. Because obviously, like, NVMe concepts, like, those are all very fair game for steps. So, like, if you even just using it as, like, a learning resource, a learning tool, just, like, go through what they're testing, I think pretty helpful. Did you feel like they represented your final score, like, predict well? Or what do you think? So, NVMe's underpredicted. Whereas my UWorld standardized assessment too was my exact score. And I took that, I think, like seven days before my exam. So you're probably feeling great the week leading up to your exam, taking that. Yeah. And it was a little frustrating because I made so many stupid mistakes and I was just like, well, it could be better. And there's always this like internal struggle, like, well, is it a stupid mistake or is it a mistake that I'm just prone to make? Like, is that's just, you know, the way I've been learning and studying, like these are mistakes that I just consistently make. And like, maybe that's something that I can't fix in my last week. And I just kind of sucked it up. And I was just like, you know what, like, let's just take it. It's fine. When was the first MBME that you took? It was during dedicated. Oh, okay. So that's kind of like the biggest thing. So you didn't take any MBMEs during your preclinical years. It was really during your dedicated that you started doing that. My first day of dedicated actually was my first assessment. That's right. I took it on my first day of dedicated because I wanted to see what my baseline was, what was really like a glaring issue because I had seven to eight weeks to work on it. And that's a lot of time when you're studying, you know, like 12, 14 hours a day. So like if I can just start working on my weaknesses, like anatomy, which I think that was one of my weaknesses on the first NBME, like that's great. Like I can flush that out and like not have a problem on exam day. Okay, well, sweet. That sounds like you had a solid routine and it obviously worked out really well for you. During your dedicated, I just want to clarify one thing. Did you continue reviewing your Anki cards during that time? I was reviewing cards, but I essentially was like, if I know this like cold, like I know, for example, cerebellum is involved in balance. Like I don't need that card anymore, probably. So I would just delete it. And what I would start to do is that like, I would make like a sub deck, essentially, I would start pulling cards on your old questions that I got wrong. Now is a good time to also add that I also did Amboss during Dedicated, just to supplement the UWorld because UWorld is really dense. There's a lot of material in all these questions. And like, it's not something that you just do, you know, you kind of have to like, read through all the questions and understand all the answer choices and everything. So I would just do like a block a day of 40 questions. And then like, that kind of leaves me with a lot of time. So I would do Amboss questions on the side and like less thoroughly than UWorld, but just as a supplement, especially on topics I wasn't strong on, like neuro, anatomy and things like that. Yeah. So I would just use it as like a supplement. Gotcha. So did you end up getting through all of Amboss or was that even, doesn't even sound like that was a goal necessarily? 
No, it wasn't the goal. And I didn't either. And I was okay with that. I was just kind of doing it, you know, after an NBME, you see where the scale is at and you see that like, oh, well, public health, like that was really bad. So I would just go and do like a block of that from Amboss and like try to figure out like where I went wrong on the actual NBME. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's awesome. I'm so thankful to be able to talk to you about your plans and schedule all the way up through those first couple years. And it's really cool to hear how well it worked out for you. You know, you did really well, obviously. And it's just kind of cool to be able to pick your brain. And, you know, you've got your own take on a lot of these things and solve problems and bring up issues that med students like deal with, you know, there's a lot of stress and trying to get it right and trying to do well in step one and preclinical years. And so I just really appreciate your time. And just to reiterate for our listeners, Neil's in the middle of his surgery rotation in third year, and he's taking the time to share his experience. And so it's just really cool. So thank you so much for your time, Neil. Yeah, no problem, Rod. Thank you for having me. I also want to add that I did use neurophysio videos. It was like my last couple of days of dedicated before step. And I was just like, I don't know how cross sections of the brain or the brainstem, like, I don't really understand that still. So like, you know how like there's a cross section like the medulla and there's like a label at, at point X. And it's like, if there's a lesion here, what's going wrong? You know, like, what does the patient present as? And I watched physio videos on that. And those were super helpful, super clutch. I, and I appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. When you talked about a neuroanatomy, I was like, oh yeah, we, me and Michael put a lot of time into that neuroanatomy and like working with the neurologists and PhDs, like trying to like nail that to make sure that like from every dimension, making sure that everybody could figure out all of neurology in its entirety and how to apply it on a test. And so I'm glad you brought that up. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys making that. That was super helpful. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.